Yeah, so yesterday was Transfiguration Sunday, and so it was the culmination of the season of Epiphany because this coming Wednesday we start with Ash Wednesday. It's hard to believe, but here we are this far into the year. So anyways, Transfiguration Sunday is important because it's, it's the day that we remember how Jesus um, was changed in appearance before Peter, James, and John on, the, on this mountain of Transfiguration, it's called. And there he pulled back the veil, if you will, just for a moment. And we see him in his glory and majesty that he possesses as, as the Son of God. And so the scripture readings for today uh, kind of focus in on this. I just wanted to mention that because in the first reading from the Old Testament, from Exodus 24, we have, we have Moses um, uh, going up on the mountain. And of course, uh, you'll hear this in the Gospel reading, but when Jesus goes up on the Mount of Transfiguration and is changed uh, in appearance, so to speak, uh, he, is, he is visiting with Moses and Elijah, uh, two of the great Old Testament personalities. And Moses is responsible for the law. Elijah represents the prophets. But Jesus met with them. And so the Old Testament lesson is about Moses, who goes up on the mountain of Mount Sinai. But later on, of course, will be with Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration, as we'll hear in the Gospel. Anyways, Exodus 24. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people, and he said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stones, like the very heaven for clearness. And he did not lay his hand on the chief men of the or the, of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. And the Lord said to Moses, Come up to me on the mountain and wait there, that I may give you the tablets of stone with the law and the commandment, which I've written for their instruction. So Moses rose with his assistant Joshua. And Moses went up into the mountain of God. And he said to the elders, Wait here for us until we return to you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. Whoever has a dispute, let him go to them. Then Moses went up on the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain. And the glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. Now the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on the top of the mountain in the sight of the people of Israel. Moses entered the cloud and went up on the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain forty days and forty nights. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The second reading is from 2 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 16. And in this text Peter recounts that moment when he and James and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration and actually witnessed the glory of God. And so he talks about it here in this text. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we were made known to you, the, or we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the, by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, with him I'm well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have something more sure, the prophetic word to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in their hearts. 
Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then the Holy Gospel is according to St. Matthew, the 17th chapter. Glory be to thee, O Lord. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And as he was transfigured before him, his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am very well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to thee, O Christ. Well, grace to you in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. What are the organizational values of our congregation? What principles or priorities guide our thinking and our actions? About a month ago, 23 members of St. James went through a workshop with Reverend Galen Walther of the Michigan District and at that workshop six core values were identified. And over the next six weeks, we will unpack these values in our messages so as to stimulate discussion and unity among us. There may be values that have been identified at this workshop that, that you agree with. There may be others that you think, oh, they missed this value. I think we should add this other value to what it is that we value as a congregation. You might find that you don't always resonate with the values that have been identified. Well, as we review these values, we invite your feedback. We invite your constructive input. We invite your prayers as we seek to identify values that truly reflect who we are as members of St. James Lutheran Church. In no order of importance, the core values identified at this workshop include the following. We at St. James value being, building healthy relationships with other members and healthy relationships with the neighbors of the Creston community. We also value participating in worship services like this one. For here we receive God's forgiveness and through the preaching of the word and through the receiving of the Lord's Supper. And it's here that we're able to respond to God's love with expressions of our appreciation as we sing hymns and as we repent and as we attend the Lord's Supper and as we pray. We also value learning God's word and then putting it into practice in our lives while at the same time supporting other Christians to help them grow in their life of discipleship right from cradle to grave. And then we also value sharing the good news. 
the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ with other people through our words and also through our deeds. We value especially sharing this good news with people who do not yet trust in Christ as their Savior. And then we value being rooted in God's Word and expressing our faith as a Lutheran Christian. Those are the first five values that were identified by the, the people at this workshop. But then there was a sixth value, and, and this sixth value permeates everything that we do, or that's what we thought at this workshop. It permeates everything that we do as a congregation, and that value is being Christ-centered. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be Christ-centered? Well, I think the text that I just read to you from the Gospel, Matthew 17, the, the account of Jesus' transfiguration is quite instructive on what it means to be a Christ-centered congregation. Listen to these words again, but this time from the New International Version of the Bible. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And there he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as light. And just then there appeared before him Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And while he was speaking, a bright cloud covered them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my son whom I love. With him I'm well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, and he said, Get up. Don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you've seen until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. Being a Christ-centered congregation means that we, you and I, believe and confess that Jesus is our Lord and our Savior. In the Gospel reading I just read to you, we hear God the Father say, This is my beloved Son. With Him I'm well pleased. Jesus isn't just a prophet. He's not merely a new lawgiver, as some suggest. He's not a charismatic revolutionary. No. He is God. He is God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. He is God in the flesh. And this is the truth that we just celebrated not so many weeks ago when we celebrated Christmas. For there we celebrated how God in His love for us sent His one and only Son into this world to be our Savior. And now God on the Mount of Transfiguration confirms it. He says to Peter, James, and John, He says to you and me, This, Jesus, is my son and with him I'm well pleased. You know Jesus looked like any other ordinary person. I mean he was conceived in the womb of a woman. He was once an embryo, a fetus. He nursed at his mother's breast just like you and I did. He had to grow and learn just like us. As he grew to be a man he he had to eat, he had to sleep. He had emotions, just like you and me. But he was also not only truly man, but he was truly God. 
but you didn't always see his divinity, did you? As he was walking around on earth doing his, his different things that he was doing as a youngster and then as a teenager and then as a young adult. And even as he began his ministry. But every once in a while, Jesus would pull back the curtain, if you will, and you'd get a glimpse of his reality that he is God in the flesh. For you'd see him do different kinds of miracles. And that's what we've been studying and looking at over the months, the last few weeks with the epiphany season. We've seen how Jesus has pulled back that curtain. We've seen him to be God in the flesh. And tonight, we again hear this or we see this where he pulls back the curtain, if only for a moment. And Jesus is transfigured. He's changed in his appearance. In that all of the glory and the majesty that he possesses as God's Son is made known to Peter, James, and John. He radiates the glory of God. As believers, as members of St. James Lutheran Church, we believe. We believe that Jesus is God of God and light of light. He's very God of very God, begotten. He's not made. He's one substance with the Father. And by Him all things were made. And so that means very practically for us as a congregation, when we say that we're Christ-centered, it means that St. James is a church that confesses Jesus as Lord. It means that this is his church, not my church, not your church, it's not any particular family's church. It's his church, meaning he's the one that's in charge. He's the boss, if you will. And we listen and we obey his voice, and we serve and we follow him. So Jesus is God's beloved son, but Jesus is also our beloved Savior. If we were to read Luke's account of this transfiguration story, Luke tells us something a little bit different than what Matthew does. Luke tells us that when Jesus met with Moses and Elijah, that he was actually talking with them about his imminent departure. His imminent departure. And what he meant by that, or what is meant by that, is that he was talking about his death on the cross. He was talking about going to Jerusalem and there being arrested and ultimately crucified for the sins of the people. And that's what we believe as members of St. James Lutheran Church. We believe when we say we're Christ-centered that, we, that Jesus is the Savior. That he went into, the, into Jerusalem to suffer, to die, to bear our sins on the cross of Calvary so that we might be forgiven of every sin that we commit. And that's why we confess as a congregation these words from the Nicene Creed. For us men, women, and children, and for our salvation, our Lord came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and he was made man, and he was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. Yes, Jesus Christ died for you and for me, and for all the people of this world. And that's why when we say we're Christ-centered, it means that we preach Christ and him crucified. That's the message that we proclaim Sunday after Sunday. That's the message that we bring to this, to this world so that they might know of God's forgiveness and love in, in Jesus. I think all of us can kind of relate, can't we, to Peter when he said to Jesus one time, Lord, to whom shall we turn? For you have the words 
of eternal life. And indeed, Jesus does have the words of eternal life that he speaks to you and to me. I mean, here is a trustworthy saying that, is a, that deserves full acceptance on the part of all of us. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul wrote those words. But I think every single one of us could probably also say, no, I'm the worst sinner, Paul. But Jesus Christ came to die for each of us, to save us. And that's why as we sang our, in our opening hymn these words, Christ is our cornerstone, on Him alone we build. With His true saints alone the courts of heaven are filled. On His great love our hopes we place of present grace and joys above. Yes, Christ is our cornerstone. That's what it means to be a Christ-centered church. To build our church on Him and Him alone. On His words and His words alone. For He is our hope. For the present and for the future. And so we listen. We listen to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And we live by them. We hear the Father say and the gospel reading for tonight, our text, he says, listen to him. Listen to Jesus. And isn't that what we do as a congregation? We listen. It's a priority for us. It's a priority for us to read the scriptures and to search them, to learn more and more about Christ and all that he has done for us and continues to do for us. We search the scriptures because we realize that God's Word is inspired and it's inerrant. It's authoritative for us for what we believe and what we practice. And so we commit ourselves to studying His Word. We commit ourselves to being His apprentice. When He said, go and make disciples of all nations, we realize that to make disciples means it begins with each one of us. That I'm here to be made a disciple. That you're here to be made a disciple of Jesus Christ. And as we're made disciples of Jesus Christ, we go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And as the Holy Spirit works in our hearts and lives, as we read His Word, as we study it, as we inwardly digest it, so to speak, we begin to have the heart of Christ. We love one another as he loves us. We forgive one another as he forgives us. And we sacrifice for one another even as he has sacrificed himself for us. And so to be a Christ-centered church, yes, we believe that Jesus is the Lord. We believe that he's our Savior. And we listen to his teachings and we also follow him. We follow him even into the valleys. In our text, the disciples wanted to stay on the mountain of transfiguration. I mean, who could blame them? I mean, they were, they were in the presence of the glory of God. I mean, Peter, James, and John were there and they saw Christ in his, in his brilliance. They heard the voice of the Father from heaven say, This is my beloved Son. And although it terrified him, it's like, wow, this is... I mean, can we even imagine how majestic and 
wonderful that must have been to be there. And then they were witnessing Jesus talking with Moses and Elijah, these two giants from, from the Old Testament. And it was like heaven on earth. In fact, it was heaven on earth, if only for a short time. And so they wanted to stay there. They wanted to pitch their tents and not have to venture into the valley. And who can blame them? For they knew what was waiting them in the valley. Jesus came to them and says in our text, and he, he says, get up. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid of the voice of my Father. You don't need to be afraid of anything. Let's go. Let's go back down into the valley. And that's what they did. They followed him. And what did they meet in the valley? Well, if we were to read on in, in Matthew's gospel, we would see that when they went down into the valley, they were immediately met by a, a father whose son was demonically possessed and was experiencing seizures. And Jesus' disciples were not able to cast that demon out, and so Jesus had to do it. He talks about how, Jesus talks about how, or he laments how the people were unbelieving and that they're a perverse generation. He even speaks about how his disciples have so little faith. And then he also begins to speak to his disciples about his own betrayal and the imminent death that awaited him or awaits him in Jerusalem. It's going down into the valley was where there was sickness, anger, discord, even hatred towards him. Oh, to stay on the mountaintops. That would be our delight, wouldn't it? In many ways, worship services are kind of like a transfiguration, if you will. It's an opportunity for us to kind of get out of the... to get out of the world, if you will, even for a moment. To come into a beautiful sanctuary like this one. And to be able to just kind of focus our hearts and our minds on, on the Word of God. To join our voices with others. To have... Jesus come to us and speak to us in, in the words of Scripture and give to us His very body and blood for the forgiveness of our sins in, in the Lord's Supper. In some ways it would be like, can we just pitch a tent here and stay here? It's kind of safe. This is safe space. But Jesus says, no. Get up, let's go. Let's go into the valleys. Let's go into the world. Let's go into that troubled world where there are people that are experiencing all kinds of hurt and heartache. Where there is discord and enmity. Where there is sickness and death. Where there's a, a world filled with unbelief. Let's go. You know, our present life and our future are daunting. As individual Christians and as a congregation. I mean, we live in a society that prefers a watered-down tolerance over a here-I-stand kind of conviction like we often have as, as Lutherans. And increasingly, Christians are seen as irrelevant and even extreme. There's something called legacy Christians. Legacy Christians are people who have been maybe raised in the church when they were younger, and so they have a little bit of church memory, church experience. But over the years they, they've kind of wandered away and 
And it said that for them, for legacy Christians, Christianity has now become kind of like that background noise that you can kind of ignore. You know how you turn on the radio or the TV and you're working around, puttering around the house or whatever, but it's just noise in the background. You're not really paying attention to it, but it's there. That's what Christianity is for many people. And that's for those who are legacy Christians. For others, Christianity is kind of seen, as I said before, uh, irrelevant and even extreme. Extreme because we dare to live on our beliefs of God. There was a recent study done, you know, reported in a book called Good Faith. It says that more than two out of five Americans believe that when it comes to what happens in the country today, people of faith and religion are part of the problem. Rejecting the idea that religious individuals could actually be part of the solution. And so we see we're up against it, aren't we? We're up against it in our, in our community, in the world in which we live. And yet Jesus says, get up, fear not. Let's go. Because you see, let's go into the world, let's go into our schools, let's go into our workplaces, let's go into our homes, let's, let's go wherever we are and share the love of Christ. Let's go and tell them about this Jesus, the Son of God who came into this world to, to bear the wrath of His Father so that we might live in God's forgiveness. Let's go and tell them about the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that they can know that there's hope in sickness and death itself. For he promises everlasting life to all who believe. He gives meaning and purpose to our living, doesn't he? But we know there's so much more to life than just stuff. There's the eternal treasures that he has promised to us. And so as Christ-centered, as a Christ-centered church, we, we go. And we tell others his saving name. C.S. Lewis said there exists in every church something that sooner or later works against the very purpose for which it came into existence so we must strive very hard by the grace of God to keep the church focused on the mission that Christ originally gave to it yes sooner or later every church kind of forgets why it came into being and the reason why we came into being even as a congregation of St. James, was to share the love of Christ, not only with each other in-house, if you will, but also to go out into the neighborhood and proclaim the love of Christ to other people as well. But over the years, it can become very easy for us to kind of lose sight of that original reason for being started as a congregation. And soon we can become very ingrown, inward-focused, and then it calls for intentionality to go. To go and be the witness that we are in Christ. C.F.W. Walther, the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, said, You see, dear brethren, we are assembled here not for our own sake. We are in the faith, and by this faith we hope to be saved. But there are still millions who have no faith, and that is why we're here so that we might bring salvation to as many people as we possibly can. And only for this reason does our gracious God allow Christians to live on earth, 
that they might bring others to the saving faith. Otherwise, God would immediately take a Christian to heaven as soon as he is converted. That's why we're here. So that we can represent Jesus Christ to the world. So that we can share his mercy and love, his peace and his joy with others. Much more can be said about what it means when we say that we, the members of St. James, value being a Christ-centered church. And we will continue to elaborate and meditate on this truth in the weeks to come as we explore all the other core values, the other five core values that we've identified. For you see, being Christ-centered, we will find impacts all those other core values that we hold so dear. Amen. And now may the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.